This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Last summer when we were camping as a family, we were getting everything ready. It's that that arduous initial two or three hours where things were getting set up and the kitchen flies were going up and you're, you're setting up the, the grill and you're, you're getting things delivered one place to another and the boys need to set up their tent. We were going to go set up our tent. And there began to be a little hustle and bustle from their side of the campsite because the tent that they were setting up, the zipper broke. The zipper for the door broke. Hard to say how it happened, why it happened. Needless to say, the tent now cannot do what the tent's designed to do, which means keep wilderness on this side, keep safety on the other side. You know, stay dry. Can't stay dry if the tent door is compromised. What kind of father would I have been had I said, well, tough, deal with it. And some of you might say, a good dad. But no, no, it wasn't going to be that kind of vacation. So I grabbed one of the boys and we went down to the local big box store. We found the only tent that we could find that was left and brought it back. Not a long-term solution, but certainly something that was better than what they had. The zipper closed. And glad because that week we had a lot of weather come through. Difficult camping weather, the kind we have to lash the tent down and tent and tarp it and make sure it's safe and secure. So I'm glad that the boys had a good tent to be in for the journey that we were on. God also has provided you with a tent. A space in which you can move through the wilderness. Designed to keep the wilderness in check. Did you know that? And so often, unfortunately, we experience things that we should not experience and go through emotions that we don't need to go through because we have decided to step outside of that space where God has intended his grace to dwell with us. It's that tent I want to talk with you about this morning. The sacred space that God has intended for you as we journey through the wilderness that's what we've been doing the last month. And as we look towards resurrection morning, we heard the call of John the Baptist who said, come out to the wilderness. The wilderness is where Jesus went out, where God reveals our heart, where sure enough, demons dwell and we will be tempted and God will want to shape us and, and call us to a deeper place with him. We spent a whole week just talking about the heart, what the heart is. How important the heart is to our spiritual growth. I talked about cross. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. If you're going to follow me, you need to bring your cross with you. It's the equipment of a follower of Jesus. We might be able to say that a Jesus follower without a cross is not following Jesus. But this week... I want to talk about the tent out in the wilderness as we look at a, a passage that maybe if you grew up in church, you're quite familiar with in Matthew 21. But before we get to that, last week I said we need to make sure that we have the story right because we're going to encounter a couple challenges this morning. 
a couple lies that like to work their way into our way of seeing the world. Lie number one simply is this, that the story is all about you. It's about saving you. God exists for you. And the other lie is that you are quite capable of making this trip by yourself. You don't need others. You can do this successfully alone. My wife and I were encouraged to watch a, a mini-series called 1883. Maybe some of you have watched it. And you can watch most of it and be okay. There are a couple of scenes where I had to give to my wife, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. But in essence, it's the story of the Oregon Trail. How a group of pioneers set out from Texas and make their way up through towards Oregon. And what was it like? What did they endure? The challenges that they faced. What they had to leave behind. And how important it was that they stayed together. Because sure enough, as they were told at the very beginning, there are things on this path that will kill you. There are things on this trail that will destroy you and your family. And you saw it a few times throughout the course of the miniseries. There were those that, hey, we can do this alone. We can do this on our own. We'll be fine. And sure enough, if the next scene, if you did not see them being destroyed by whatever the threats were that lay ahead of them. We need to confront those lies this morning as we continue through the wilderness. But let me remind you of the story, the great story, if you will. And you've heard me share this before if you've been at House on the Rock for a while, but it's important to remember the story. God has come into our chaos. And in that chaos, formless and void as it's described in the beginning of Genesis, God creates flourishing. He creates a garden. And in that garden, he places his people and says, with you, I want to bring flourishing to the rest of the world. So if we were to understand it visually, the beautiful, invisible realm of God wants to come into our chaos. And in that overlap, let's call that Eden. Let's call it garden. Where God has put people and says, hey, from there, it's a launching pad to bring flourishing to the rest of the hot mess. And this is a hot mess, isn't it? But it doesn't take too long for the humans to decide, hey, you know what? We can do this without this. And the very first section of the book of Genesis is what happens when you kick God out. God leaves you to your chaos. And chapter after chapter, it's death, it's murder, it's deceit, and it's destruction. Until God says, you know what, humans, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you, and I'm going to set aside and work through a people called Abraham's family, Israel. And that family grows and expands, and that's the intended place where God is going to bring flourishing to the rest of the chaos. That family goes down into Egypt. They're held into slavery, and God leads them out of slavery and bondage, leads them through the waters out of chaos into God's space. It's one of the reasons we practice baptism. How do you follow Jesus? Well, it starts by being baptized. You go through the waters. 
And in the wilderness, God says, hey, you know, let, let's set up a tent, if you will, for me, because I want to dwell with you in this space, in the overlap. Let's put a tent there, because I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you in your space as we bring flourishing and blessing to the rest of the world. And they go into the promised land in that tent. They're like, hey, you know what? God doesn't want a tent. God wants a temple. Let's build him a temple. God's like, I'm good with a tent. Tent's fine. Never ask for a temple. No, no, no. We're going to build you a building. Kind of what humans do, right? Bigger, better, bolder. God's like, I'm good with a tent. No, 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 a temple. But even in that temple, God says he makes his presence known. And that, again, is to be a launching pad for the nations in the world to come experience God's flourishing and God's blessing. But what do we do? We screw up the story, don't we? And sure enough, we like chaos a whole lot more than God's way. Until we reach a point where God's like, okay, you're on your own again. I'll just, I'll step back if you will. I'll step back if you will. Until you read in the beginning of John's gospel, God says, you know what? It's time for me to come for you again. I love you. I want to bring flourishing to you. And God, it says, dwells with. John chapter 1. And the word became flesh, intended, literally, with us. And what we see is, what is no longer a building, God, by his design, becomes that launching pad. Jesus himself, where you used to go to the temple for sacrifice or for forgiveness or for healing or for questions, now people come to Jesus directly. Setting up what's going to be a big showdown that we're going to look at this morning. That this tent that God had intended and desired to bring people through the wilderness into promise is Jesus himself. The garden made way for a tent, made way for a tabernacle, made way for a temple. Now Jesus says, I am temple. But it's going to be a showdown because those who run the current temple don't want to lose their job. Like things the way they are. But God is inviting us too to follow with him. So what does it mean to live in the overlap, to dwell in that space, if you will? So take out your notes, take out your Bible, and let's look at that together. Turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Verses 12 through 17, the verses will be up on the screen if you want to follow along up there, or maybe you brought your Bible, which we're big fans of here. Why talk about all of this? Because in the wilderness, it's easy for three things to happen to you. It's easy for you to get stuck. It's easy for you to get attacked. It's easy for you to get lost. And maybe you've experienced that in your faith. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gotten stuck in your faith? You're just spinning your wheels and you're doing everything, but you don't feel like you're making any progress for it because in the wilderness, it's very easy to get stuck. Have you ever gotten attacked? Ever been in the wilderness and experienced attack, maybe from loved ones? Ever gotten lost? Yeah. That's why a good tent is helpful. Matthew 21. I'm going to look at verses 12 through 17 with you this morning. We've been reading through Matthew together. And some of you might say, hey, you kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, it's not Palm Sunday yet. That's not for a couple of weeks. That's okay. 
We have some other things that we want to get through before now and, and, and then too. So you, you'll be all right. I promise. It, it'll, it'll be fine. Matthew 21. I want to read verses 12 through 17 with you. You follow along, please. Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple. He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer. You make it a den of robbers. Verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he'd done, the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you've prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In your notes, I've kind of given you an image of those two overlapping spheres, if you will. To help us understand that space out of which God's grace comes and in the middle, what did you write? Would you write down house of prayer? Because that's what we want to understand. Jesus describes this overlap of kingdom and earth. Kingdom come, will be done here on earth. That overlap, he calls it, this space is to be house of prayer space. In contrast to what is a den of thieves, a place where sin and thieving can dwell and hang out. This is to be something different. And of that space, we need to understand that it's first communal. So write that down. Wherever you wrote down um, house of prayer in that center, that overlap, write down, this is communal space. It is God and people space. One of the reasons I walked us through the story again is God does things with people, through people, for people. God doesn't take people out of the equation. If we're in the garden, it's Adam and Eve. God intends to do things through Adam and Eve. God does things through Abraham and Abraham's family that becomes the nation of Israel. Even within that nation, God intends, I'm going to do something through Jesus' followers. And now we're a part of that now. But this is always communal space. Because God is saving people. And that can be a little resistant to those of us who grew up in certain traditions. Where Jesus came to save me. Jesus is about me. Jesus came for a people. And experiencing God's grace and salvation is about being with his people. It's communal. It's not individualistic. It's not just communal, it's prophetic. So next to communal, would you write down the word prophetic? Yeah. Lolo's got it up there for you. It's prophetic. In this passage, we see Jesus flipping over tables 
of all those who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. What's he doing here? Um, some commentaries will tell you, well, this is Jesus confronting the greed of the institution. It had become a place of oppression. And that's partly true. But more than that, it's a prophetic demonstration. This is what prophets do when prophets are there to tell you it's time for something to change. That God wants to move the story forward. When God's people had gotten stuck, God would send the prophet in and the voice of the prophet would say, it's time that we move forward. So what does Jesus do to this space? If we're going to move out of temple, this, this brick and mortar into something else, Jesus trashes that space. He makes a public display. He confronts the chaos head on. He says, now we're going to do something else. That's one of the things that happens in the overlap. God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But we have to understand that sometimes that, that has a prophetic feel to it. Ever been poked by God? We've been moved by God, and it wasn't necessarily comfortable. It wasn't lovey-dovey. It wasn't rainbow cats and unicorns. It hurt a little bit. As God is driving you forward, yeah. Because there's a prophetic aspect to the overlap that you have to learn to respect and expect. But it's not just prophetic for the sake of being prophetic. That would make God a jerk. It's prophetic because it's also pastoral. It's pastoral space. In the midst of all the complaining that the institution is doing, what is Jesus doing? He, the, the lame are coming to him and the blind are coming to him because he's healing. He's putting the pieces back together again. And this isn't unique to temple space, right? Jesus is doing this throughout the Gospels. Why? Because he has now become temple. He's become the contact point out of which grace and life and love flow. When I step into God's kingdom space, God puts the pieces back together again. Your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is in heaven. But what's going to happen when heaven coming for me collides with chaos? What does chaos want? Chaos does not want to let go. And chaos wants to hold on with all that it can possibly can. And you see, you see uh, the scribes complaining and the chief priests crying out and confronting the, the indignation. It doesn't want to leave us behind because we need to remember it in a wilderness, that's where demons dwell. That's where evil wants to do its work. Back in 2019, I did a series called Vice where we walked through the seven capital vices Historically, that's been an, a helpful way to understand how certain sin will grab a hold of you. They're not capital vices in that they're worse than other ones. They're considered capital vices and sins because from those flow a whole lot of other problems. That if I let this sin have its way in my heart, it's going to give way to other sins. Take greed as an example. You can see that in the passage, yeah. Yeah, Jesus is upsetting the entire economic system of Jerusalem. Jesus is confronting an institution that has become very greed-centered, where it's about money. And if we have to exploit outsiders, then so be it. 
in the wilderness, God will confront your greed. How maybe we have let money become God. You cannot serve God and money. Maybe that's something to wrestle with. Another vice, envy. Envy is keeping score with others. That's how you keep score. Whether you're better than they are. And you keep track. And sometimes you have no problem helping other people know the score between you and somebody else. Oh, as you share this and share that. Oh, look at their sin. Oh, look what they have done. Oh, look who they are. Not me. Is envy given, got a hold of you? You can certainly see envy in this passage. The scribes, the high chief priests, they're envious of the attention that Jesus is receiving and what Jesus wants to do. They cannot humble themselves and serve the intentions of God. Envy. Envy have a place in your heart? How about wrath? Not anger. There's nothing wrong with anger. Just don't sin. You can be angry, just don't sin. Anger is our natural response to a perceived injustice. Often a personal injustice. What happens is when we take matters into our own hands, when we don't deal with the anger correctly, and that gives way to wrath. Where it becomes about yelling and screaming and holding grudges. Does wrath have a hold of you? You could see in this passage, they get indignant at the attention that Jesus is receiving. This is not a holy anger. This is a vile wrath. How about sloth? Sloth's one of my favorites. Not to participate in, but sloth's sneaky in that when you hear the word sloth, what do you picture in your mind? A sloth, right? Like kind of slow, just doesn't want to do anything, right? And that is an aspect of spiritual sloth, or what we call a sedia. Technically speaking, you don't do what love demands of you. That's the technical understanding of sloth. Love demands a certain response from you, and you don't do that. But sloth also has an other side to the coin, where you get busy for busy's sake. You're busy because following Jesus means being busy. But in your busyness, you are unable to do what the gospel calls of you. You're unable to respond in ways that love expects of you. That's sloth. Oh, I can't do that because I'm going to do this instead. Sloth. How about vainglory? That's a popular one today. I like to call that one the selfie sin. Look at me. See me. It's vain glory, meaning it's empty glory. It's all about the outside. It cares nothing about growth on the inside. It wants to be recognized for the exterior, for the selfie, for the self. Very popular, very common these days, isn't it? Look at me. Like me. Celebrate me. It's completely empty. A little bit after this passage, Jesus is walking by a fig tree and the fig tree doesn't have any figs on it and he curses it. 
and the tree wilts. The tree looks like it has something to offer, but there's no fruit there whatsoever. It's empty. It has no value. As again, Jesus prophetically is looking towards the temple system. It's like it's empty. There's nothing there. Be careful that vainglory doesn't get a hold of your heart. A couple more vices. Lust. So when we take sex out of God's intended design and picture and we, we move it into our own system and sure enough, chaos loves that and chaos will use lust to bring big, big, big destruction to us and those that we're in a relationship with. And gluttony, the last of the vices. Oftentimes gluttony is mentioned first. Food has become a god. Food has become an idol. I look to food to bring me comfort. I don't look to God. If that's all new information for you, you can go to uh, the website, whoishouseontherock.com, uh, and listen to that series. You're in the wilderness. You're walking through the wilderness. Are there certain demons that have been gathering around you maybe for some time, and you did not know? Because sin is sneaky. But in the space of God's grace, you can begin to confront those. They want to dwell with you. And they want to pull you away into isolation so that they can destroy you. That's what they do. But underneath God's canopy, what is it? There, there, there's community. It's communal. It's prophetic where God is speaking life to me to move forward into another place. It's pastoral where there is healing and there's compassion and grace. What could I expect, though? What could I expect if I were a part of a church that wanted to live on the edge? Right where those two meet. Some churches don't like living there. They don't want to be where the chaos is. Us four, no more, shut the door, let it pour. That's, 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 we're just waiting for the bus to get here so we can get out. But for a church that's committed to incarnational living and incarnational mission, what could you experience in a church fellowship that was openly working to bring life to chaos? What kind of relationships would you have to endure? Would you have to be patient in that kind of space? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to be patient. Would you have to be kind in that type of church? Yeah. Would you have to be gentle? Would you have to be gentle if you were in a church that was committed to ministering in the overlap and living on the edge? Yeah, you'd have to be real gentle. In fact, you would have to have all of those fruits of the Spirit that would key you into the Spirit's presence. You would have to be loving, hope-filled, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness. You would have to practice self-control because you're in a collision point where chaos and kingdom meet on a regular basis, which means you're going to bump into people that aren't like you, that don't like you, 
You're going to have to hold on to the story. You're going to have to be like Jesus, walking through a world, being an access point of healing and restoration. And you're going to have to be okay with people walking away. Because you're committed to ministering on the edge. I don't know that most churches want to be there. In fact, most churches will adopt a theology where it's just better and safer if we just wait to check out instead of incarnating and rushing in and coming for people. Paul, the apostle, when he's confronting a church, he says, don't you guys realize that you are the temple now? You're the temple. You're the access point. You're the overlap. Until such a time that God moves us into the next age, the next time to come, where there is no temple and God dwells with. That's what it says in Romans chapter, I mean, excuse me, in Revelation 21. This is where the story is going. It's going to this place, Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and sea was no more. Sea is chaos. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Here's the problem though. We still live in the age of the former things. We live in the time where people are still blind to the next step. We're still living in the time where people are lame to take the next step. Which means if I am a person of influence and I'm helping disciple others because you follow Jesus by helping other people follow Jesus. If you're in that place, what does it ask of you to walk with someone who's blind and lame? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, there, there is a time that we're looking for When heaven will come down, it's really this real rattling thing. It really takes you out of the moment, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, it, I know. Yeah. And this comes down and the overlap is complete. A new heaven and a new earth and the dwelling is with. Looking for this. Not this, okay? This isn't what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say you do this. The Bible says God comes down here. And dwells with man. If you're one of those people who leads, then I invite you to be patient and kind. If you're a life group leader, if you're a ministry leader, if you're discipling others, may God give you the strength to keep moving forward with patience and kindness and grace. Why? Because people are sheep and they stink and they 
poop and they, they, they throw up and they wander and they stray and you have to go back and you have to get a hold of them and you have to bring them back and then they'll, they'll do it again. And then you have to go grab a hold of them because love comes for us. And we believe that it's communal and it's prophetic and it's pastoral. An author and a psychiatrist that I really respect and has been helpful for me, his name's um, Kurt Thompson, psychiatrist. Help and helps me from a counseling perspective. Tells a couple stories that illustrate this point. A son comes to his mom. The son has a child of his own now, and there's struggles, there's difficulties. And he went to mom and said, Hey, mom, I, I'm having a hard time relating with, connecting with my young son. And the mom says, Well, you need to go talk to your dad. And he's like, That's a bad idea. Dad was never present. Dad was never there. Why would I go to dad to understand my son when my dad was never there? Mom, dad always just told us to come to you. We're supposed to go to you, so I'm coming to you. I don't understand this parenting thing that I'm trying to do. You, trust me, you need to go to your dad. A dad who was never present. A dad who was never engaged from his perspective. What the son did not understand was that dad had entered into a journey on his own and began having conversations with a therapist, with a counselor to engage in his own story. Because you see, dad had a dad that was an alcoholic. Dad had a dad who would get angry and physically abuse. And dad was committed to never becoming that parent. And so whenever the situation arose where he felt he might go to that place, it's, it's a lot easier, hey, for mom to come along and take care of it, for mom to engage. So when the son reluctantly came to his dad, dad, I'm having some problems. Because of community and prophecy and a pastoral voice, dad was able to engage with his son and say, well, when I was growing up, this is what it was like. And so I pulled back. And I'm sorry. But it provided a context for healing to happen. And conversation to happen. Community. It takes community. Well, at the same time, a community that will not practice the prophetic voice and the healing priority of the gospel will destroy one another. Kurt, in one of his books, tells another story. A man came into his office, 65, 66 years old, battling a very deep, deep depression, and he didn't know where it came from. Happened almost overnight. Could not engage the world, could not engage with his wife, his daughter, could not do any of those things. And so the therapist, in the context of community again, said, hey, why don't we bring the whole family around the table and see if we can't figure this out. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. And so the man was there with his wife, with their daughter, and their daughter's daughter. And they began to talk and they began to engage and, and all of a sudden the daughter speaks up. There's something you need to know. And the room gets really heavy and really quiet. You need to know that my daughter is also his daughter. 
And right now she's pregnant with his kid again. You can't make this brokenness up, right? He had got his daughter pregnant. He got his granddaughter pregnant. And with the reality of his own brokenness and what he's doing to his family had cast his soul into a deep, deep depression. And it took a long time through a lot of community and prophetic voice and pastoral care to get that family moving in the right direction. A family that had gotten stuck. A family that had gotten lost. A family that had been opened up to all that hell brings with it. But God comes for us. He comes for us in our brokenness. This is the gospel. And this is what we're committed to. If you find yourself in the chaos and you don't know what community means and you don't know that prophetic voice, you don't know the pastoral love of Jesus, come, join us. Come through the waters. Be baptized. Leave a world of chaos behind. Step into grace space. It is a hot mess. But we're learning how to love each other. You can sign up. There's more information near my office. You can learn about those things. I'd love to have a conversation with maybe even on your connection card. Hey, chaos. Maybe you have not been diligent. And you've allowed the demons to work their way back in and the tentacles of sin to grab a hold. Maybe it's vainglory. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's gluttony. Who knows what it is? That's just where it starts and hell cascades from there. But you're in the wilderness and that's where God says, let's weed these things out. But he will do it in the context of relationship. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today, and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.